In immersion, one can find an adventure or a release, a chance to learn or a new perspective. Today, we are joined by the founders of the Speakeasy Society. After seven years of immersive creation, they have gained an understanding of the true value of play. I give you Genevieve Gearhart, Julianne Just, and Matthew Bamberg Johnson. Freedom that play provides, even within a structure. As the guest, you are essential to the story being told. By nature, play means you are involved. I'm a little nervous to play. It is an experience that you are in the center of. You have importance. You are seen. I believe he was a, a Vietnam vet. Play brings back and, and, and he back. had gone away to war against his mother's wishes. He was given the opportunity to say goodbye to his mother in a way that he was never able to in his actual life. Hi, I'm Nathaniel Skye, the host of the Immersion Nation podcast. Here, the masters of immersive experience create and conjure, muse and imagine the cultural revolution that is unfolding before us. That is immersive entertainment. Welcome. Welcome to the show, you guys. Great to have you on. Thank you. Thanks so much. Pleasure to be here. So for context of the audience, um, could you in turn potentially uh, say your name so that folks can identify you to and with your voice and tell about what fictional or fantasy world you would choose to live in um, if you had to choose one? Sure. Okay. I'll go first. <laughs> uh, so I'm Genevieve Gearhart. Um, you know, there are so many worlds that I would be super interested in exploring, but um, I was thinking about this and as, as something that I've just been watching recently and as an actor also I'm excited about and would be fun to play in is the, the, it's it's a kind of more poppy reference, but um, the sci-fi TV show The Magicians. <laughs> I I okay, love that okay. it's a combination of what we know as our world interlaced with magic, with other, with the opportunity to explore completely, um, I guess, other fantasy realms that are entirely different from the world we know. And as um, as someone who enjoys choreography, I love the style of their magic, like the way that they the their hands like create the positioning for magic, and I think that would be a, a fun place to live in. Mm. I really like that that perspective on it. Um, I have not actually seen the magicians, but uh, you definitely have me interested. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Not the most serious of shows, but fun. Sometimes you need a little fluff in your life. Yeah. I don't know. I, I We've gotten pretty emotionally invested in the magicians. Don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, I guess I'll jump in next. Uh, I'm Matthew. Um, you know, when you ask that question, I jump back to something from my childhood that I haven't thought of in a really long time. Um, I was kind of a nerdy kid growing up, still am a nerdy kid. And one of my favorite book series was actually um, 
a spinoff of kind of the D and D universe uh, of uh, Dragonlance, um, and uh, it, specifically the Forgotten Realms uh, series. Um, and I don't know. I just I love that high fantasy world. Um, you know, the presence of magic, uh, the way that you can kind of access um, issues of prejudice in modern society through kind of the racial dynamics of these of these different. Uh, groups that look absolutely nothing like us as humans, you know, you're moving beyond issues of, of uh, different human classes discriminating against each other and then, you know, entirely different uh, species. Um, and, and I just jumped back there for some reason. That was something that was like really formulative in my imagination. And I, I grew up in kind of rural areas. So spent a lot of time uh, running through the woods with sticks, pretending to, you know, have swords or magic staffs or various things of that nature so that's oh I'm yes doing. oh yes um where'd you grow up out of curiosity <laughs> uh i was born in vermont but i grew up in southern indiana just outside of bloomington um so our our property abutted a, a state forest and i would run around with my dogs in the woods in the afternoons and... wonderful yeah lots of lots of space for adventuring through the um forgotten realms there indeed um, <laughs> I never was, or I'm not super familiar with Dragonlance, but definitely have played inside of uh, Forgotten Realms yeah. quite some time ago. So that, that's awesome. Definitely can connect with that to a degree. Um, yeah, thank you. And uh, my name is Julianne, and I guess I'll take it kind of in a, in a slightly different direction. Uh, but I, I would, I guess, want to spend some time in the world of like Edith Wharton's Age of Innocence, um, sort of kind of a Victorian era um, you know, that one, it's Victorian era and New York, which I think it kind of had an interesting, uh, an interesting uh, impact at locationally on the idea of kind of what it was to live in that era, because uh, obviously, America was still kind of early in its history, we still are early in our history. Uh, but yeah, I, I enjoy, I enjoy a, a little a little Victorian era. Oh, yes, a lot Victorian of a lot of actually a great backdrop urges you can't act on and a lot of uh a lot of uh longing <laughs> yeah yeah um that that's wonderful um the i think there's definitely some there's a lot of imagination around i feel like that social context of victorian era um that has produced a lot of really interesting ideas and fiction consideration of social constructs or constructs and such yeah. And, you know, visually it's beautiful, but also I think it's one of those eras that, you know, there's no part of me that really wants to live in that era. I feel glad that I'm not living then, but as an era that I might want to visit uh, or, or explore in, in, a, in another setting or in a temporary way. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. Just a just a peek behind the curtain yeah. there. Um, all right. Well, wonderful. Thank you guys for starting us off like that. Um, from there to jump into something, uh, somewhat immediately meaty, so to speak, um, for context, for another little bit of context here, um, what kind of experience are you trying to give to the guests slash players, um, slash audience that participate in your shows? And I know you've done so many different shows, so like, is there a kind of common theme of what? your creative impetus, um, either together or individually, uh, orients towards. 
Yeah, I was thinking about this uh, today um, as it relates to kind of the definition of immersive, because there are so many different definitions of immersive and and, and many companies working in the form um, position themselves differently in relationship to that word. Um, and, and one thing that I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> that, uh, that is sort of a hallmark of our version of immersive is that you are essential as the, as the guest, you are essential to the story being told. It could not be told without you being in the room. So we really want to make sure that you feel essential to the experience. Um, like you are completing the loop of the narrative uh, and were you not present that this action could not take place? And I think that's something that we have been evolving with as, as we continue to grow and we continue to work on new material. And I think we're finding a stronger and stronger sense of that with each project. So as maybe some of our earlier work, you weren't necessarily as you were always vital, but maybe your character wasn't very specified or there was fluidity in who you were. I think as we continue to move uh, further on and what we're working on, we're really kind of delving into who is this guest, whether we get to make that choice or whether you as the guest get to make that choice. But, but knowing that, knowing that we know as, as the creators who you are and knowing that you know as the guest who you are and, and what you're able to accomplish in that world and that what you're able to accomplish or experience um, or contribute is vital and is, yeah, exactly what Matthew said, completes the kind of feedback loop. And I think we hope by defining kind of what your role is or letting you define it, that that then establishes kind of the parameters or rules for the experience. Uh, Because that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately is the idea of like, so you have something that's immersive, but immersive is different than necessarily engagement within the immersion. Um, And so I always think about the idea that uh, we get nervous sometimes, I think, if, um, if we aren't asking the audience to interact uh, for, for too long. But then it's like, I think about how there are situations where within your role, playing the role of witness is actually a very active role and necessary role for the, um, for the interaction happening. Uh, we have a show for an audience of one called, uh, that, that's loosely inspired by the Strindberg play, The Stronger. And that is very much about, uh, you being invited into a situation to kind of witness an interaction And there are moments where you interact with it kind of verbally, but a lot of it is about your presence there to to account for this happening. That one's an interesting one because um, even though you aren't always asked to participate verbally, sometimes you are, but the, the presence and the energy that you bring as an audience member definitely affects the performance of the the two actors and and maybe which way they kind of emotionally and tonally take take the script so it's sometimes you don't yeah you don't need to necessarily say or do something to have an impact on what's happening we as performers can sense how you are taking in the material and how you are reacting to it and we can use that as we move forward through the story as well and that, I think that's one of our big goals anytime we're building a production is 
um, uh, that in that role that the audience takes on that 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 built into that role is kind of an understanding of how that how 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 that role would interact then in that narrative or in that environment. Yeah, yeah. Understanding the persona of an audience, whether the agency and the creation of that is on the part of the the experience designer or on the part of the audience um, is is a really big determinant factor there in so many ways. Um, and that is to say, I mean, to what you're speaking to on both sides of that, it's like it's a matter of degrees, but one way or the other, there's still there's still a component, even in something where there's not a direct piece of agency, just the kind of intimacy of social space creates creates a context for things to change even in subtle ways. Definitely. And I think part of what uh, Julianne was getting at in the end of what she just said as well is part of the mission for us then becomes how do we provide that social cueing in an onboarding sense? Uh, because I think another hallmark of our work is we we generally don't like to make people people feel um, like they are making incorrect decisions, right? That's that's not it's not about embarrassment. I think sometimes when people think about immersive, they're afraid that they're being dragged up on stage at the hypnotist's show and being made to cluck like a chicken. And and we want to be the antithesis of that. So we want to make sure that as a guest, you're provided with all of the tools and understanding that you need to be able to successfully function within the world that we're creating. Yeah. Creating enough of a, enough of a cushion, enough of a flexible environment where it, it can be yes. And instead of having a really massive ask from the audience, which actually, now that you say that I feel like is very much the mentality that a lot of, a lot of high agency, um, immersive theater takes on it, but it makes me wonder the degree to which as audiences become more aware of how the whole thing works, um, if there will be kind of some new doors open insofar as, okay, you can ask a little bit more from the audience. You can expect them to know a little bit more coming in or something of that nature, which of course, like say, speaks to the onboarding process of something like tension experience and that whole host of experiences um, in that ethos being like, oh, hey, they have this whole like pre-context of an ARG that that serve it serves as an onboarding experience, because I think that that's definitely something I've heard a lot of people finding different ways to interface with that onboarding process, because it's tricky. It's tricky getting or asking that of an audience. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that extends the boundary to which you can play with certain audience members. But another thing that we are careful of is when, you know, we create, when we created the Kansas collection, which was the episodic series related to the mythos of the wizard of Oz. Um, we, there was a lot of outside of performance content, uh, puzzles and videos and letters and, and kind of hidden, um, nuggets that would help enhance and increase uh, your relationship to the story. But I think we always operated under the assumption that people had not read or participated in that material. Um, so we want to make sure that even if you're walking in, having done no 
prior work or investment in the the framework that we've laid out, you're still going to have a satisfying narrative experience. Now, the people that do engage in that deeply, um, they have information that the other guests don't, and that gives you a lot to play off of. And uh, and particularly in Kansas, I feel like the the interactions that some guests have had with characters are really rich because they feel emotionally invested because they've done work um, in in a way uh, by solving puzzles or you know traveling to various places or um, they they just feel like they have a very particular personal connection to the characters um, and that's that was something that was really special about that series for us. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Um, the the dynamic of having some people in experience that have had so much, so much time and learning put into, into an ethos, into a world that you guys have created. And then having some people who are just showing up completely, you know, new to the whole thing, potentially. Um, and I'm going to use that to segue into this idea of uh, play insofar as I think that insofar like onboarding, it has this dynamic where I feel like play is very undervalued in our culture. And I wonder if that's part of the barrier between traditional entertainment and immersive entertainment, specifically immersive high agency theater. Um, so what do you guys see as the value of play? Oh, I mean, I think it's the one of the main reasons why we create the work that we create. <laughs> Um, because if we weren't interested in play and that the feeling that play kind of brings back and, and brings up, I don't know, maybe we'd be creating films that make a lot of money <laughs> or, or, um, we'd be sitting back doing something a little easier. Um, you know, I, I everything we do revolves around play because play by nature, play means you are involved. You can't play something in a passive way. That's watching or, or observing. But if you are playing, it's active. And I think, you know, when we first got interested in immersive work, that was what kind of sparked joy for us. We, you know, the three of us came from a more, like more traditional theater backgrounds. And we had been working in theater for a long time and, we were ready for something different and we were introduced to this world where we were actively allowed to be a, become part of the story in a way. And the agency that, that play provides and the freedom that play provides, even within a structure is so much more exciting than sitting in a seat and observing. And I, I, I mean, I, I really think that that basic word is the groundwork for everything that we create without it, there's nothing there. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, completely, completely. Thank you. You know what that also makes me think of? Um, I, I was able to go up to the Immersive Design Summit uh, hosted in San Francisco um, this past year. And um, one of the keynote speakers, Jenny Weinblum from Meow Wolf, um, she was talking about how immersive theater um, can also serve an important uh, social justice function 
because we learn by doing as humans. So in a sense, there's a responsibility that you have as a creator um, to you know think about the habits that you are encouraging audience members to practice through play. Um, and so she, she uses the phrase rehearsing for the revolution. Um, I think about uh, practitioners like Augusto Boal with Invisible Theater, whereby, you know, he works with um, or worked uh, uh, with um, communities that were experiencing some kind of difficulty or oppression and through theatrical lenses, through imagination, through play and simulation is able to find solutions to real world problems. And while not everything that we do really is approaching social justice issues that deeply, um, I think that's something that I certainly like have in the back of my mind as we're playing with audiences um, is what are they playing doing um, and and what what does that do for them and what does that do for the story um, as a whole? So just another kind of take on that question. And I think that that very much ties into um, your answer with the forgotten realms there because like insofar as speaking to the different you know the different mythical races in that as a different way to interface with the problems of our world and the way that our culture handles that um that's actually a second time that i have heard uh jenny weinbloom's name come up and i'm very very interested in her perspective on all that because it seems like uh, her thoughts at the Immersive Design Summit uh, impacted very broadly. Um, so thank you for bringing that up. Of course. Uh, I also think there's an interesting idea of like, so there's play and then there's like the nature of play. And, you know, speaking for myself as an adult, I, and as an adult in our very kind of a, a passive screen-based culture, um, I have a desire to play, but I also, uh, I'm a little nervous to play. And so I think that's something we also strive to set up is a space that um, it's a space of play because it's a space where you have to be present and engaged. But also we and a lot of our shows try to set it up uh, so that you know how to play uh, and that we're actually going to try to guide you into a, you know, what could be the most emotionally satisfying or narratively satisfying uh, sequence of events in that experience. So in a way, uh, there's elements of it that it's play with with your handheld. And because I think that's something for us, we always talk to our actors about is, um, you know, if it's a group experience, usually the audience is very varied. Some people are really putting themselves out there as others are uh, maybe kind of hanging back a little bit. But sometimes, you know, the people who are hanging back, it's not necessarily because they're not interested or not interested in being engaged. They're just um, maybe nervous about not knowing how to or, or not or about not doing it correctly. So I think that's also one of the really interesting opportunities within immersive is that um, in a way you have a chance to kind of hold someone's hand and reteach that. Yeah, yeah. Because I, you know, just as, a, as an immersive theater audience member, um, that's one of the things I love about it is that I've been able to kind of experience uh, situations and do things in those situations or live through situations that A, I would maybe never be in or find myself in or B, within that situation, allow myself to um, maybe experience a, a more kind of outwardly emotional journey in that space. Yeah. And 
in many ways, we live in a society that has forgotten how to play, that has eschewed the concept of of recreation, sacrificed it at the altar of being busy, being productive, which has its merits. But I feel like the attachment of the word escapism to play is not entirely justified. It serves such an important role in so many contexts that you, I think that writing it off culturally, obviously not unilaterally, but in many ways, um, may have potentially been a significant misstep. Yeah, because I do think a lot of these times, you know, very often after a show, it's amazing how many audience members, uh, an experience they have within the show is now making them reflect on experiences that they had in their own life, which, I mean, that's something we hope all art has the capacity to do. Um, but in the case of immersive theater, I feel like oftentimes that reflection is very active. Because you've lived it, right? You, you're given an opportunity to actually uh, take those steps to make that action. Um, it, it makes me think of two things. One, uh, one is related to when we were doing the Johnny cycle. Uh, we did the first chapter at the American Legion in Pasadena. And there's a scene uh, where uh, you as, as the audience member are cast as Johnny, right? So everyone refers to you as Johnny. Um, uh, that's how you're engaged. And um uh, you go and encounter Johnny's mother and Johnny's mother essentially tells you not to go to war. She says, if you walk out of that door, don't you ever come back. And afterwards there was an, an older man who was just, uh, you know, very tearful, but gratefully tearful. And, and, uh, we asked him, you know, sort of what, what his experience had been. And he reflected that, uh, he was given the opportunity to say goodbye to his mother because I, I believe he was a, a Vietnam vet. Um, and he had, gone away to war against his mother's wishes and uh, she had died while he was deployed. So it was an opportunity for him to have that catharsis with his mother um, in a way that he was never able to in his actual life. Wow. That's really incredible. Yeah. That's really, really incredible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and, that, and that felt like, oh, good. We're doing something important here. We're doing something that is, is giving someone a, a real authentic human experience that they need. Um, and then just it, uh, briefly, as, as we think about uh, play as the impetus for the work that we do with the Kansas Collection, that came about because of games. Um, uh, Noah Nelson of No Presidium, uh, he reached out to us because he was involved in helping to curate um, the night games portion of uh, the Indicade Festival hosted at USC. And uh, they were looking for live events that could help populate that space. And so he said, do you want to engage in an experience involving game mechanics? So that was the very seed for the Kansas collection, thinking about our own experiences with video games and role-playing games and what was effective for us in those forms and how we could translate that into a live um, immersive medium. Yeah. And I love that the inception of, of Kansas there came from other parts of the community in that way and Noah's involvement and Indicade's involvement. Um, I think in so many ways, it's just incredible to kind of watch from afar the tight-knit um, community of immersive creators in LA um, doing what you guys are doing and all kind of in some ways like 
building off of each other's work and ideas and experiences. Um, it's, it's, it's really cool to watch. Um, like I said, from afar for the moment, but watching that happen as a social phenomenon, <laughs> um, is a very long winded way of saying that. Um, yeah. Uh, from there, I think if you guys are willing, we could jump into our make it immersive segment. Okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> So this one's going to be a little bit tricky for me because I'm not going to be able to do a whole lot um, in so far as setting a stage for where to start with this because I'm not super familiar with any of these um, Forgotten Realms more so, but Magicians and uh, Age of Innocence, correct? Uh, yeah, I, I would um, say, funny enough, Magicians in a way kind of branches all these areas. <laughs> <laughs> It, it has a present day element. It jumps back in time uh, to a specific kind of moment in history. And then it has a whole fantastical realm place. <laughs> it's true. And there's there's a status of whether you are a uh, basically like pure blood wizard or like classically trained or if you are a hedge witch, et cetera, so on and so forth. So, yeah, it's a good it's a good uh, palette. <laughs> all right. All right. Yeah. Let's start with that then. Um so in, in how would you put someone in that world in a way that could let them interact with all those pieces, um, pieces of that world as much as possible? Well, I, I think, you know, one of the, as with any kind of immersive story, there's many ways you can enter. And I think one of the ones that at least for me, I'd be the most excited about is that, you know, the the show kind of functions on the idea of almost like there is a school that you can get accepted to, to be trained as a magician, uh, sort of like call magic college. Um, and so, you know, as an, as an audience member, you could start with, and, and you don't, the school kind of picks you, you don't pick the school. So, uh, you could really begin someone's journey there. They, they get the invitation to come test for, for admission to the school. And I think that's a trope that's really useful across forms. You know, you see that in uh, video games like Fallout, where you take the GOAT test, you know, to determine your aptitude or play style. Um, I, that's, that feels like a really fun way to onboard into this universe, definitely, is through that exam. Because then yeah, I feel also, like that could be... Oh, go ahead, please. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you also have specializations with, within that. It's not just about, do, are you accepted? Are you? Do you have kind of magic living within you but then what is what kind of magic mo are you most associated with too which would be a fun way to start to possibly work on different narrative track experiences for different guests yeah yeah and i feel like that um the idea of getting letter to a letter to um magic college would be a very accessible way to start an onboarding process too given because there are other parts of the uh the ethos of getting um invitations to a magic school of one variety or another um, <laughs> the culture is very familiar yes. yeah for sure. <laughs> you know and, and what that makes me think about too uh, we a lot of the work that we do is pretty analog because we aren't technologists we aren't uh really designers by trade we function within the realm of physical bodies and imagination. 
but there, you know, there are a couple of different routes you could go. As Genevieve mentioned before, with the magicians, so much of the uh, magic is highly choreographed, and specifically, it's highly choreographed related to your hands. And it, it makes me think about, you know, with the improvements in the RFID chips and the way that they're able to activate with things in themed entertainment. Um, if you have gloves or some some something of that nature that you could put on people's hands. Um, it enables you to to create physical activations within the space based on their gestures and based on their ability to follow your prompts and learning choreography and things of that nature, which is also really exciting. Okay, okay. Oh, that would be so cool. So I'm picturing like, all right, so you get this letter, you show up, you go through the testing process and maybe well, learn a little bit about yourself and oh sorry. I was yes. gonna say, and I think going, you know, again on the steps of it, you you've got the letter, but just showing up at the space then becomes an experience. It's a it's a hidden space. You only know how to find the entrance because you've been selected. So through this letter. So even just like the portal of entering into the experience becomes an experience in of itself, um, which is, I think, something, you know, generatively, we love to look at how each, you know, how each beat of it is is special and, and is is a moment, is a, you know, that's as an exciting moment as then testing for getting tested to see if you have magic. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that sense of discovery is so ingrained in, in what I feel like many, many others love about um, love about immersion, whether you're discovering a door or a hidden experience or something of that nature. Um, so starting with that right out the gate or right out the gate would be wonderful. And then we, um, we really like to try to create a varied experiences. So the idea that there's a different, different pieces of content and that not everyone gets the, to experience the same thing. So per kind of the conversation earlier, you know, you, you test for magic and you find your specialty, which could lead you down a, a certain kind of narrative route with certain characters and people you meet. Uh, I also think, though, you could do the route for the person who, um, who tests and fails and then from the outside has to find their way back in. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that would be an interesting journey. You automatically have a character who is framed as this underdog in some respects and oh wow that would be amazing wait okay so would this be a game or would it be a tracked narrative with certain degrees of agency within that track uh, I, I think it would probably be the the later for us obviously uh, other companies might choose to approach it differently but we do really uh, we we love our narrative and there's a certain amount of we want to um guarantee that our audience will get to go on a kind of uh, a, a fully kind of structured experience to, that they get to have a certain amount of catharsis over the experience. And we don't leave our audience alone a lot, right? So I think that's something that's different from like a puzzle experience or an escape room experience whereby you're kind of left to figure it out. Um, I think one of the hallmarks of what we do is is the connections that you're forming with characters and forming with actors so for each of those tracks you would probably have a keystone performer and you know various other kind of side players in your experience and they would help guide your emotional journey as you made your way through that piece oh i love it i love it um all right so in the interest of time i i'm so sorry to do this but is there a way that we could take age of innocence and Forgotten Realms and either choose one or merge them. 
hey, I'm happy to keep vamping on magicians. I'm <laughs> Just a brainstorming session for us, basically, now. <laughs> Sci-fi, if you're listening, we are interested. <laughs> well, well, I think, uh, so one of the great things in the magician's uh, kind of uh, story space is, so you, based on which magic you test into, there are different houses that you join. So, uh, you know, you, you test and you go move into your, your new, your new dorm house. Right. And, uh, and, and there, there you have, you know, essentially two doors, right. And one can take you, uh, into the past and you interact with people, you know, in still in earth in the past. And the other takes you to, to the fantasy realm. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. So you are automatically presented like the whole thing is a bunch of choices that puts you in these different tracks and containers and such. I would Um, say so. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and I'm not, I'm not saying that as any kind of negative concept. I'm just like understanding what the, what the process of going through that would look like, cause that would be amazing. Yeah. And um, you know, you could always, again, if you wanted to guarantee that your audience got to experience a bit of every world, you know, you could always find a way narratively that if someone, let's say, uh, went to the fantasy world, there's a problem there. And to solve that problem, they then have to go through a portal to, to, you know, they, they travel back to earth, but, oh, oops, they're in the past now. They went to the wrong time. Um, and, you know, there, there are ways that you could still hit all of them. Uh, I, I think also about the, um, you know, to, to tie in some of the stuff that I was talking about with Forgotten Realms, I'm interested in this Hedgewitch track, right? So for the people who fail and then have to find their way back in, is there a moment where, you know, the people who are in the school who are, uh, you know, getting classically trained, they have some sort of problem that need they need solved, but they can't do it on their own. They need the help of these kind of outsiders, uh, this this scrappy group that is coming by their knowledge of magic in a different way. And they maybe have some information that's essential um, to the problem at hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so to wrap back around, um, what are those problems? Like, what are the what are the conflicts in that world that come to the forefront that the folks in that world have to contend with? Well, I think if we wanted to take one of the big, um, the problems actually from the the series, it's that uh, magic is disappearing and no one knows why. And um, without, even without magic, people who know nothing about magic in the world, the, the, the muggles of the world, their, their lives are still affected if magic doesn't exist and, uh, and, and in a negative way. So trying to overcome that, that obstacle. And that's, that's something that would band a lot of different groups together in the end to, to help each other because it's a common problem. But also a conflict that emerges from that is that it's a finite resource, right? So yeah, thinking about gamifying it a bit, you know, you can cast a certain spell or perform a certain action, but that depletes the overall... Uh, ability of everyone to perform magic in the in the area there's rationing that's taking place um so that's just kind of an interesting perspective on that as well oh yeah yeah because that could introduce a whole level of social dynamics insofar as who gets to cast the spell who's Mm -hmm. better at this given thing or who what party gets to use this finite resource definitely and and creates some some hard but 
uh, rewarding choice points for everybody and, and uh, some variance within the uh, performative experience. So you have alternate kind of results depending on what choices the guests make. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. All right, I'm sold. <laughs> I'm ready. Um, from there, would you guys be down to segue into a few rapid fire questions? Um, as much as I want to keep poking around inside of that world. Sure. Awesome. Um, so to start off with, uh, what do you tell the uninitiated about immersive experiences? Those who either are showing up to a show completely dry or are, you know, encountered in the outside world uh, that just know nothing of it. I often start with the fact that you are a character in the universe and you don't have any lines that you need to memorize. Um, but you get to perform actions within this play and your actions matter and the characters will respond to you, move with you, touch you, um, and uh, you have importance. Um, so I, I use that as kind of a framework uh, to differentiate it from a traditional proscenium play. Definitely. You yeah. have importance. I like that. Yeah, and I, I do think one of the key things is you are seen. Um, you are always seen. Anything you do is seen, and it's it's part of that world and story. So there's not really anything you can uh, step out and do aside. You're you're you are present in it, and your presence in it both impacts the performers and the story, but it also um, becomes part of the world for any other guests that are then in in the story with you. Yeah. Um, Genevieve, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, it really depends on who the person is that I'm speaking with. Because sometimes you speak to someone who's who says, Oh, you do immersive work. What what is that? I don't I don't know. I have no reference. So um if I'm speaking to someone who's like, really educate me, I know nothing about this. Um I usually start with it, it is an experience that takes place all around you, that you are in the center of, that requires you to be an active participant. Depending on the show, how you actively participate could be very different. That's a stylistic question, but depending on the group, depending on the material. Um, but it's not that it's something that you will, you will not be able to sit back and observe the whole time, but that you will be contributing your presence alone contributes to the story. Yeah, you are, you are the center of this. It's, it's, I think often a tricky paradigm shift for folks who haven't encountered immersion at all to, understand something where it's almost impossible to not be present within an entertainment experience. Um, the idea of having to have some agency is, I think, sometimes confusing. <laughs> People are like, what do you mean? Absolutely. I get to, 
I get to be at the center of this. I get to be seen. <laughs> I get to be important in some way. What does this mean? <laughs> and that, that's actually something that's been interesting to see just watching audiences come in and out. Sometimes people who've done immersive theater and really love it, um, they'll bring someone and be and kind of choose to surprise them by not preparing them at all. And uh, that can really go one of two ways. You know, I, I always suggest like, I mean, you have to know someone really well to know that uh, going in kind of blind to that's going to, that they're going to be open and, and worth it for them. Um, a lot of times I do think uh, it's best, you know, if, if you can, it's not that you have to have done it before, but, you know, to have a little, um, particularly someone's new to the form, it's not bad for them to have a little, a little kind of prepping, a little chance to just kind of know what they're getting kind of into in a way. Because again, if, if someone just thinks they're going to go see a quote show or a play, um, that that sets up a set of expectations um, that for some people, when that's broken, that's really exciting when they don't know it's going to happen. And for other people, if they don't know that's coming, uh, it can be really, really unsettling. Uh, we've definitely kind of engaged how much to kind of say up front versus to let be discovered in the space. Um, there are certain things that I think now more and more we do before an audience go in, give them some, you know, some kind of were, you know, some prep, right? Letting them know that, you know, actors might be touching them um, or that, um, you know, they will be spoken directly to just because in a lot of ways it's important for them to know, but it's also important for the actors to know the audience has in a way entered into an agreement about what the rules of the space are. Yeah, most certainly, most certainly. Surprise is a bit of a double-edged sword in that right. Um, and I think definitely preparing someone to the best of your ability without revealing too much is very, very important. I mean, that's a, the, the conversation of consent is a perpetual underpinning theme um, in all of this. It's like, do you know what you're getting into? It's not going to be crazy more often than not. Some, some experiences are certainly, but do you, do you at least have a heads up insofar as what's coming your way? Um, what, What's one immersive experience that you're particularly excited about the potential of um, outside of your guys's own work specifically, like something that you think speaks to a lot of new paths, new doors, new directions in the world of immersion? Oh, man. <laughs> I, I, so, so there's a couple. I mean, there's there's a the, a big one and a small one. Uh, I, I think that the big elephant in the room that everyone's talking about right now, and obviously we're all watching to see kind of what happens with, is uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Um, is that level of immersion really going to live up to the hype? Are people going to be able to have... Um, full narrative experiences there. I know that uh, Knott's Berry Farm uh, has has played before with the Ghost Town Alive, um, which from what I understand, I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but you can go and essentially participate in eight hours of content. You, know, you can be there all day and play with different characters and go on missions and so on and so forth. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to see how and if that emerges with the Star Wars property. Um, and then, you know, right now it's it's Hollywood Fringe Festival here in L.A. Um, and there have been a few shows that we've had the chance to go and see that have been kind of fun and exciting. I saw one two nights ago um, called The Pod, 
um, a very small show, 20 minute little nugget of a piece um, uh, written by Nick Reinwald Jones, uh, who also created Safe House 77. Um, and uh, it is, it's playing, first of all, in kind of a sci-fi space zone, which I haven't seen a lot of people do. Um, and it's, it's a, a, such a small nugget of an experience, but it feels com- both complete and leaving you wanting more. Um, and, uh, you know, Nick has seen a bunch of our work and, and I can definitely see some of the lessons we learned through the structuring of our episodic productions of Kansas collection at work in the way that, um, they're framing up kind of the follow-up videos and things of that nature. So I'm very excited to see what happens with that piece as well. Those are my two. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I'll, I'll say for me, it's, it's a little bit, uh, I'm still really curious about kind of where the VR train is going. Um, I'm someone uh, who, you know, initially without ever having done any VR, I took a kind of hard stance against it. I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to say now uh, because being someone who makes immersive theater, I put a lot of value in the, the live experience and in the tangible uh, kind of physical world. Uh, that said, my first experience, you know, in the VR headset was pretty, pretty exciting and pretty transformative. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a really cool piece of technology, but when that piece of technology can, uh, really, um, again, it goes to this idea of what is your role within that world. I've now gotten the chance to do a lot of different kind of VR games And, you know, one of the big things is, well, I've been in a lot where it's a really beautiful world unless there um, unless there's a a specific and deliberate way to interact that actually has impact on why I'm there and and kind of what I'm trying to do it. um, The my the the amount of attention or interest it can hold is nominal. Uh, But I do think it's just it's a really exciting space, um, you know, in terms of accessibility there's so much potential. And so I, I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes, um, particularly kind of pushing, pushing narrative. Yeah, certainly. Um, I, I definitely had similar preconceptions about VR um, and still do to some degree um, in the world of social interaction. Um, but it is surprisingly more impactful than, or at least I expected going into it. Like, wow, that, that was much more positively disorienting than I was anticipating. Yeah. And, and I do have to say, I think that, that you kind of jumped on it. I, I don't know that I've ever had um, uh, my shared experiences of it have weirdly the shared part is in the, it functions in the way when you do an immersive theater piece for an audience of one where, you know, I might do it and then you might do it and then we can talk about it. But I, I haven't had an experience where I'm in the VR space yet kind of sharing the experience with other people in in a kind of successful way. Yeah, certainly. Um, All things to come. We shall see what happens there. Yes, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, you know, I don't have a a specific production um, right now just to speak about, but, but one thing that, um, I've been feeling over the course of several months uh, has to do with the community of immersive creators in LA. And and you touched on this earlier, actually. Um, 
I've, there are so many immersive creators now here in LA and the work is getting stronger and stronger, but the work is still staying pretty small. Um, it's not running for a long period of time. It's, it's not really leaving LA in this moment. And I, I just have this feeling, and this is something I, I think I've mentioned before, that we're going to start to see more and more collaborations between different kinds of different groups, different immersive groups working together to kind of, I feel like there's going to be some immersive super group that's created in, in LA <laughs> and um, in a way that we can hopefully compete with the bigger shows uh, that are happening in New York. And, and certainly the shows in, in New York and, and the UK that are getting maybe a larger or larger recognition. I feel like it's going to happen in LA soon, but I feel like the way it's going to happen is through collaboration. And that is something that our company, especially we revel in collaboration. <laughs> we, um, that, that's what I think makes us so strong as a group. And I can only imagine what will happen when some of these other groups start to pool their resources together and, and start playing together as well. And I, I'm excited to see, and, and I, I really hope that that does come to fruition. And I'm excited to see where it might lead LA as a landscape. I think there's definitely a lot of potential for that. Um, speaking to say Meow Wolf as a model for something that started as this artist collaborative, but then has evolved into something different, more, what have you. I mean, they're, <laughs> they just launched their podcast and they're still trying to figure that out too. Um, but that, yes, it's a very different medium. Um, but at the same time, it's like that there, there's, there's a model for it to some degree. There's a, there's a precedent that's been set that, that we know it's possible to do things like that in such incredible variety and collaborative form. Um, so as I think will probably be our final, uh, official question here, um, I would ask you guys, um, and this might be a somewhat familiar question to, uh, either you or those listening, but if you could have a metaphorical billboard, um, getting the message out to billions, um, what would it say? Could be either something of your own origin or a quote if that is a more accessible thing uh, for you at the moment. I, I, I guess I, uh, in, in some ways that you see towns do ad campaigns for you know all the amazing things that you can do there um as as genevieve talked about collaboration and and the amazing work that so many different companies are doing i would want just uh, to to showcase the wide variety of options um that there are available in the form of immersion so um I, I'm envisioning just a get immersed uh, billboard and and like the variety of different worlds and doorways that open up to different experiences that um, uh, that you could partake in um, just as a kind of general message uh, for everyone who's creating in this form. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that I feel like would be really 
meaningful and really tricky to capture. Yeah. I want to I want to see that graphically represented very badly. Actually, that would be really cool. Maybe it's better as like a you know thirty second little web video, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm working with it. Uh, we could see we'll we'll uh, superimpose an AR option onto that right. billboard. That's right. <laughs> Hold up your device and unlock new worlds. <laughs> I will yes. say though, I think that phrase "get immersed" uh, it has it has it has a ring to it and it's catchy. You know, you could do like a series of billboards, and and each company kind of could have could have its "get immersed" billboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm a big fan of that. I'm definitely a big fan of that. It's the new tagline. It's the immersive <laughs> movement. Get immersed, guys. <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts on the billboard? And it's okay if not. It's okay if not. Nothing's popping to mind. That is totally fine. I mean, I, I would definitely want to make sure we had to get immersed uh, with the Speakeasy Society uh, billboard. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> Though even there, it's, it's hard to know what yeah. that 100% looks like, right? Because we're creating across multiple genres and styles of interaction and time periods and looks and aesthetics. Um, so yeah, I mean, to your point, Nathaniel, the, the, how do you essentialize that into a static image when immersion is by nature, something that's fluid and, and moving around you, but it would be an in interesting challenge for you sure know, to see how people. Choose to I feel that. like instead of one big, large billboard that gets seen by the whole of the world. I would rather have millions and millions of tiny of our of our tiny logos posted everywhere. <laughs> so that you would see enough of them and be like, what is that? I want to know what that is. And that you would eventually be able to find out who we are through those tiny little logos. But like, is there a way that they could be hidden everywhere all over the world? Like <laughs> And no matter where you are, you would somehow come across our logo and be intrigued enough that that it would drive you to to find us online to, to figure out what exactly we were. I like it. The grassroots yeah. billboard approach. <laughs> it's funny that you bring that up. Uh, Genevieve and I actually met a long time ago in New York, and uh, we met uh, working through a theater company that was a bit of a more traditional experimental theater company. But I don't know if you remember, that was one of our advertising campaign ideas for a show was that we were going to print all these stickers up and we were just going to put them up everywhere and knowing that they'd be taken down and that it was a little illegal. Um, but that we were hopeful <laughs> that, you know, if you put it up on the subway and stuff, that if people saw it enough, they would finally someday like go to the website and like see what it was. So really I'm just recycling like 16 year old ideas <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but also I don't know that we ever fully acted on that idea. So maybe it's just ready to be done now. <laughs> also, I would say it's the world time. is more ready for it because yeah. at that point, before everyone had a smartphone people weren't carrying the internet with them 24 7 where now i do think um something like that like people people would have the ability to look it up right then and there yeah, uh, yeah most definitely and i'm i i'm frustrated that qr codes are not as used as much as they should be because they could be so cool. yeah <laughs> um but 
yeah that makes me think of uh like the old um black eyes p music or black eyed peas music video where is the love mm-hmm. everybody's going around grassroots in the question mark things plastered on the wall um or on, on all the places um yeah and that actually might be a perfect way to uh transition into talking about what you guys have coming up i'm incredibly excited to hear about what's on the horizon for you guys yeah um that's great. Well, we so so we just closed um, the Kansas collection. So that was a ten chapter episodic series that had evolved over the course of three years, and we had our finale performance, uh, the Portal, which uh, ended at the end of May, beginning of June. Um, so you know, any normal and sane person might take a breath after that, but we are neither of those things. So instead, we're launching into several projects. Um, uh, we recently announced a crowdfunding campaign for a piece that we have coming up in the fall called The Johnny Cycle, which is our adaptation of the Dalton Trombo novel, uh, Johnny Got His Gun, um, mixed with elements of Trumbo's own life. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, Trumbo was blacklisted during the McCarthy era uh, for being a communist. Um, but during the time of his blacklist where he wasn't able to work as a Hollywood screenwriter, which is how he was really making his, his uh, money, um, he ghost wrote uh, Spartacus, The Brave One, and he actually posthumously received his off, uh, Oscar for The Brave One, uh, which won Best Screenplay um, later on. So uh, we're very excited to be bringing this piece back in kind of a revised form. Um, This was also a piece that we had done as a three-year investigation that had taken three, um, the the form of three installments. Um, But we are kind of taking all of our favorite and most effective moments from that three-year investigation and combining it into one standalone piece that will be uh, premiering this fall at the Mountain View Mausoleum in Altadena. So we are raising funds for that currently. And if Very anyone feels moved to donate, <laughs> by all means, please do. Um, there are some, um, uh, yeah, there's some perks there for early ticket access and VIP experiences, things of that nature. So, yeah. And uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll cut this out if you guys would prefer it, but I encountered some old videos uh, that you guys had recorded and posted on Vimeo of certain snippets of the Johnny collection, which was really, really interesting to kind of get a, a peek inside of that world. Um, and yeah, if you no, guys that's, all right with that, I will. That's uh, totally link that fine. You can share notes. that. Um, we, uh, the, in, in fact, the um, video from the third installment uh, at Mountain View is kind of the cornerstone of the Indiegogo page. So um, we're, we're perfectly fine sharing those those videos and and the you know previous work that had been done to give a sense of tone. Um, not everything will be identical, and and it's with those first two videos we won't be performing in those venues, but um, it gives you a sense of kind of the world in which the work is being created. Yeah. Um. And that that first person viewpoint is, I mean, filming immersive experiences is tricky. And obviously, a lot of creators don't want to have the inside of what's going on their experiences even demonstrated. Um, So it was really, really cool to see you guys um, having taken a shot at that. Um, Yeah, so that will be linked in the show notes. Um, What you said, a multitude of projects, um, as, of course, 
as if that's not enough. But I heard potentially that there might be some collaboration going on with uh, 2-Bit Circus. Uh, that is correct. Uh, so we are uh, currently gearing up to open a show at Two Bit Circus. Uh, it's in a, a private space there, and uh, uh, going kind of uh, back to our roots, uh, it's it's an intimate piece. Uh, it, it's for at most two people at a time, um, but it's exploring kind of a circus world of the 1920s. Ooh, fascinating! That's yeah. really really cool. I. Uh... I think I saw, I don't remember where I caught it. I feel like I saw some mention of it on their site or somewhere, somewhere in the depths of the interwebs. And I was like, oh yes. Oh yes, please. That's going to be lovely. Uh, yeah, that, we're very excited for that as well. Sorry, Julian. Oh, I was going to say, so, so the show's called uh, Under the Big Top uh, because we love doing uh, uh, shows in series and installments. It will be in installments, but each show is a standalone one. So the first one is called Atlas. And um, that experience in of itself is a standalone show. But if you saw the other installments, they will um, speak to each other in, in, in certain ways. Wonderful. Um, and of course, once again, links to all of this goodness uh, will be in the show notes for those interested and looking about. Um, yeah, from there, where can people find you? Uh, all over LA. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're on the on the internet, you can find us at www.speakeasysociety.com or on Facebook at the Speakeasy SOC, as well as on Instagram and Twitter, also as the Speakeasy SOC. Right on. Well, wonderful. Um, Anything else in the sphere of your guys's work that uh, you care to mention as we find ourselves uh, coming towards the end of our chat here? Um, well, I think one of the big things uh, that kind of characterizes our work is, uh, as mentioned before, um, we definitely do a lot of collaboration and our work is definitely very much narrative and character driven. We work with an incredibly talented bunch of actors, uh, many of whom have uh, been working on shows with us since the beginning. Uh, we're actually, as a company, am I correct, that we're about seven years old now? We're coming up on our seventh birthday? We are. Up on seven. And um, during that time, and I might get my number wrong here, which is unfortunate because I literally just typed it in an email, we're on show what? I, I think we're on 22 or 23, something of that nature. So 22, uh, 23 original shows, counting remounts, we're closer to 33. Uh -huh. uh, so, uh, but again, uh, many of these actors have been working on shows with us throughout, throughout our history. Uh, they're incredibly talented. I think they've been... Um, really helping grow the form of immersive acting. And uh, one of the big things is with each and every show, uh, well, we feel like we've learned a lot and we are definitely, I think we have honed a style that's specifically ours. Um, we're always looking to try new things and explore new kind of um, ways of, 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 of considering what it means to be immersed and interacting. Um, but I do think part of what we love about it is that we feel like there's always something new to discover within the form. Certainly. Um, and on the note of discovery, you know, of course, if the, if the producers of the magicians are out there, um, 
<laughs> shout out you guys <laughs> yeah by all means um and, and just to springboard off of what uh julianne said too i mean there's uh the three of us are the the co-artistic directors but there are other folks that work as part of kind of the administrative team uh making sure that everything kind of stays up in the air um in between projects um and we'd be remiss without mentioning those people so um we have john henningsen who is our uh producing director um, Chris Porter, who is an associate artistic director who writes many of our words and uh, all of our music. Um, Michael Bates, another associate artistic director who was a longtime performer with us, who then stepped into a more creative and, and generative role. And then uh, Andrew Leah, who is our production manager. Um, and uh, Andrew and John have really helped us scale up what we're able to accomplish technologically. So for people who saw the portal, the portal itself and all of the tech related to that would not have been possible without their help. So uh, just want to give them a shout out as well. Wonderful. All right, you guys. Well, on that note, I want to say thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Um, thank you guys for coming on the show. And I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Of course, of course. Guys, I hope you have an absolutely wonderful day. Calling all immersive adventurers, explorers, connoisseurs, and artists. The immersive revolution is just beginning. All that is to say, we would love any feedback that you might have on the show. What do you want to hear more of, less of? anyone in particular you'd like us to have on the show i would love to hear your thoughts so please rate us review us or just drop us a line on the website at immersionnation.com i always love having conversations about this wide and wild world that we are both living in and creating once again this is the immersion nation podcast thank you for joining us in this adventure